You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. I'm not sure which one of us to start, which is the perfect way for all of this to start. You know, this is the <laughs> this is the pre-show, and we just rolled right into it. Sarah Spade, Jason Fitz. Uh, I don't know if you were supposed to start or I was supposed to start, and that feels like the most Monday way to start the week yeah, for our yeah. pre-show, particularly. Mm-hmm. It's good. A little slow. It's good. Yeah, well, a little slow. We well, I wanted to tell you an interesting fact that I learned this weekend when the highlight of my weekend, of course, outside of uh, the crushing disappointments of uh, football losses by teams that technically are not mine and mean nothing to me, but still make me sad because I feel bad for people losing at that level. But the most exciting part of my weekend was, of course, the uh, salt and Peppa Zoom watch party for the Lifetime movie. And while the movie itself was very Lifetime, if that tells you anything, <laughs> um, it was still super interesting to see how they came up and the decisions that they made and, and some of the ways that they were groundbreaking. But also, so when they first met... Salt, Cheryl, was working at a Sears call center and told Peppa, Sandra, about it. And she went to go work there with her. And do you want to know who else worked at that Sears call center when they were there? Oh, my God. Yes. Kid and Play and Martin Lawrence. What? At a Sears call center? They all worked at the Sears call center. And Martin, actually, according to the movie, I did not look up whether this part is true, but I think it is as well did some opening comedy for Salt and Peppa in their early performance days. And Kid and Play were already working there as well. And they all knew each other and hung in the same crew like early on as Salt and Peppa were, were like starting out. Kid and Play were starting out as well. But the idea that they all worked in the same Sears call center is just like like insane to me. Like my, my husband and I looked at each other and kind of rolled our eyes like this is dumb. And then I Googled it. I'm like, wait, this is real. This is this is real. I mean, the... The jarring juxtaposition here of being at a call center, which is such a, <laughs> you know, monotonous job. Let's say it that way. Like, not a lot of people are like, oh, man, super excited. I'm going into the call center today, right? It's just that that's just what it is. And then you think about the Sears call center at the time. And now you think about that much awesomeness, that much talent in one yeah. call center. Like, that is, where was the call center? It was in, I think, Brooklyn. No, Queens. So Salt, Salt and Peppa were both at a college together in Queens. They were both studying to be nurses. And to make money on the side, Salt was working at the call center and helped Peppa get a job there. And all the rest of them were already working there, which is kind of crazy. Like, if if you ever, at any point during that time period, called a Sears call center about a fridge or something... And you might have been talking to, like, Martin Lawrence. Or you had a particularly charming person on the other line. It might have been one of these, like, megastars. Well, imagine being, like, kid and play and realizing that you're the third most famous act to come out of your call center. <laughs> like, how does that happen? I, I don't even know it's how you, like, negotiate that. By the way, kid from kid and play follows me on Twitter. No way. Yeah, he's an ESPN sports radio listener. And he used to message me, like, during the trifecta, especially about the show. <laughs> uh, you should totally DM him and see if he wants to come on so we can just talk, <laughs> talk about, about where like, you get the call center. <laughs> I mean, and, and like, I'm not going to lie. I've gone to see several of those. This is the 90s tour stops and like Kid and Play was on one of them. Salt and Pepper was on it, too. And they were both still great. Like, I thought oh, it was awesome. And Salt it was Pepper funny. crushes. Uh, uh, I mean, they're still like, but I also thought it was funny in that performance. Coolio was there. And so he came out and like he just had this moment where he walked around on stage and he stopped and he looked around. And he's like, holy shit. I cannot believe that I'm 50 and I still get to do this every day. And I was like, that's awesome from Coolio. You know, like, I, I just think that's such a cool moment to, to realize that you've had that sort of longevity. So we had something in my area, uh, Burbs of Chicago, 
um, called the B96 Summer Bash, okay? And it was like a mini festival, not not the likes of which you'd have like a... There weren't multiple stages. It was at one venue, and each group would play, you know, a couple songs each. But the I want to say the year that I went, maybe 96 or 97 was salt and Peppa. Do you remember Tony Rich Project? Oh, God, yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Nights are long. Days are so, so sad. sad. That song? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, this was that. It was, um, come on, ride the train. It's a choo-choo, ride it. <laughs> Thank you, whatever band that was. Um, it was Hammer. It was Coolio. Um, like this, like now, like, I mean... It totally dates me. I just dated myself with all of those, but these were good. Like this was this was like such a fun and and you know you're a teenager, so you're you go there with your friends and you're out on the lawn, this big lawn, and you just start talking to random strangers and you know hitting on people and making bad decisions. So fun. I mean, you haven't talked me out of anything other than awesomeness. <laughs> I mean, that, that just feels amazing. And by the way. Hammer, big Raiders fan. Like we got to get him on the show really? next, next season. Just like just to sit there and talk all things. He's a big Oakland guy because that's where he originated. So I'm wondering if his fandom followed the Raiders from Oakland to Vegas. There's a lot of that the the hip hop culture in Oakland that was big in the Raiders. Uh, obviously, I wonder now where they are in all this. So we should have Hammer on this fall and ask. Him. All right. So add it to the list. We need we need Kid from Kid and Play. Uh, also, as we know from previous shows, uh, um. Why am I blanking? I like Big Butts. Is a big fan of the show. Sir Mix-a-Lot. Come on. Sir Mix-a-Lot. Big fan of the show. Uh, we can have him come on. We just need to have an all-90s hip-hop show. Just all of them given their sports takes. I'm not. I'm not mad at it. You know, and uh, maybe maybe we try and get uh, maybe Nick Carter's a big Tampa Bay fan, so maybe we can try and get Nick on uh, before Speaking the. Speaking uh, of Nick Carter, did you see Aaron Rodgers' butt cut? Uh, I, I mean, no. I get it. You have a helmet on, and your hair is the least of your concerns. Although there are some quarterbacks who have elite hair, even during the game. We've talked about it before. But I never saw him having that middle part butt cut before until the last, like, two games. What's happening there? Uh, well, that is a good question. That's the level of give up that comes when you reach the point <laughs> that you're just so awesome that you don't even have to worry about it. You don't it even have to point. try anymore? Yeah, like, you're like, I, yeah, I can, I can pull what? off this butt cut. Like, Mahomes is going to do something stupid with his hair in a decade because he can, right? Like, that's the the ultimate. Uh, I like to call this, uh, and you can steal this. They may have to edit this. But uh, I like to call it dog ball theory. You know, why does a dog lick it? Because he can. Dog ball oh, theory. Oh, dog ball theory. I yeah. have never heard that. Dog ball theory. Because he can. That's just the, answer, the only answer you got to give anybody. Because he can. Wow. Okay. All right. <laughs> can he, though? Because he, I know, recently split with Danica Patrick. I don't know if he's got a new lady on his arm. So I know you're Aaron Rodgers and you're not having any trouble. You could be like, you got to try a little bit. Go Aaron Rodgers. You still walk into the bar and they're like, "Mm, Aaron." I mean, I suppose he's, he's pulled off, you know, Canadian tuxedo with a porn stash and no one's really blinked an eye. So, I mean, he's had some looks that I definitely wouldn't trust my nieces and nephews with him. Let's just be real. Wow. Wow. That's uh, taking it too far. (laughs) Okay. So here's the 1996. You took it too far. Here's the 1990s. Well, it wasn't dog ball. I'm with you on that theory 100%. Uh, 90, 1996 uh, set list was, okay, do you remember Maximilian of did course, the yep. remix of mm-hmm. uh, Sexual Healing? That was a jam. It was like the reggae-tinged Sexual yeah. Healing. Mm-hmm. Um, Coolio, 
Uh, all for one. Do you remember oh, all God, for yeah, one? Oh, God, yeah, all for one. Okay. Uh, Delius and, and I have had some interactions over the years. I wouldn't say we're friends, nice. but we're acquaintances. Nice. Yeah, big fan. Um, two unlimited. We're two unlimited. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> uh, Monica. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Quad City DJs, which I believe is, come on, ride the train. train? Choo-choo, yeah. ride it. Um, so that's a couple that were that were in that set list, which was, um, to be honest, just absolutely crushed. 99 B96 batch, In Sync, mm. 98 Degrees, mm. Busta Rhymes, Keith Sweat, Ricky wow. Martin, Tyrese, Venga Boys. Now, the Venga Boys song is one of the worst songs ever written, and I will go to my grave with that take. But other than that, that's a fire set list. I mean, that is a a massive, massive set list. Like, I can't imagine. That's a lot of very popular acts at once. They were all popular with the, the ladies, too. So I <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> the, uh, the amount. Yeah, I'm sure that was a party the afterwards. The groupie scene at that one was just gross. Uh, uh, I can only I did imagine. not go to that one, unfortunately, the 99 one. Because uh, I'm just seeing it's at the raceway. I saw some of those groups separately, but I was definitely at the... 1996 B96 bash, and uh, I'm sure there were some butt cuts there, too. Probably not. uh, Probably uh, some dog ball situations as well, because you know how things work with musicians. Anyway, enjoy the show. Yeah. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Aw, you guys know you wanted it. Two straight weeks of Tom Brady talk. Is he the best ever? Is he better than anyone ever at anything, not just football? What does he use on his hair? Has he ever eaten a strawberry? What's his life like off the field? You're going to get to know all of it. I mean, nonstop Tom Brady all the time, right, Pitts? Oh, was it a tuck? Was it a fumble? We'll never know. Oh, we're back to that already. Wow, it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline, and we will, of course, be talking a lot about Tom Brady, about all of the action from yesterday's championship weekend. And, And Fitz, one of the interesting things, as I've listened to coverage all day today about Tom Brady and this achievement of taking a team in the Bucks that has not made it to the Super Bowl in 13 seasons, second longest playoff drought other than the Browns, and he gets there, and within that first year, here they are in the Super Bowl. I have heard both he is getting lauded too heavily for his role in this because he threw three second-half picks, and they won that game because of their stellar defense. And I've heard he is underrated, and no matter how much we talk about him, we have still not fairly put into perspective exactly what he's done in a team sport as an individually great player. If you had to guess, which one have we erred on the side of more underappreciating Tom Brady or over-appreciating? Over-appreciating him. Look, I, and that's not oh. not to say that he's not spectacular. He is spectacular. But, I mean, we have we have anointed him over the years. I, I can't think that, that there's any level of he's not getting enough love because all he ever gets is love, rightfully so. Like, I'm willing to look at it and say he's one of the best ever, and, and that's awesome. Like, so let's move on. We've all established that he's one of the best ever. But realistically, how many teams could survive three quarterback interceptions in the second half of a championship game and still make it to the Super Bowl. Like, we're turning around and turning this into some narrative that, oh, my God, Tom Brady has done the impossible. Well, it's actually, I mean, he didn't play incredibly well in this process, and they still won, which is good on him. Like, I'm not taking anything away from his legacy, but I have a hard time thinking that he hasn't been getting enough love by anybody. Three interceptions on three consecutive possessions in the second half of that game. 
And that Bucks defense came to his aid. In fact, I believe he is now 3-1 and one in playoff games where he has three interceptions or more. Now, that's, what, 47-game sample, and he only has that four games. Uh, but it's worked out okay for him even when he's been off or when he's made mistakes. And a lot of the finger-pointing at the success of that team and how far they got has to go to the defense. Mina Kimes, today on NFL Live, talked about how certainly – he knew what team he was joining when he made his decision in the offseason. Brady started that game, but the Bucks defense finished it. People were surprised around this yes. time last year when he chose Tampa, kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, you know, and then they thought, well, it makes sense. Tampa has a lot of weapons. Mike Evans great. Chris Godwin is great. You know what else they had? A top five defense in the NFL. You know who knew that? Mm-hmm. Thomas Brady, and I guarantee you that factored into his decision yesterday against Green Bay. That Bucks defense pressured Rodgers on 40% of his dropbacks. That is the most he has been pressured this season. They sent timely, unexpected blitzes. They controlled the line of scrimmage. Okay, they made big plays in the secondary. Todd Bowles coached a phenomenal game. He's been excellent all season. And to me, that was the story of this game. Yes, Brady made some incredible plays in the first half, but the second half belonged to the Bucks' defense. And if they beat, uh, if they want to stand a chance against Kansas City, they're going to have to play similarly. And that is after they intercepted Drew Brees three times and held him to 134 passing yards last week. So this Bucks' defense is a massive part of this. But Fitz, this Bucks defense was close to this top five last season, and they didn't make it to the playoffs even because they didn't have the offensive side, which of course is the massive upgrade from Jameis Winston throwing as many touchdowns as picks to Tom Brady. Well, and there's no doubt that it is a massive update upgrade. You're absolutely right. But go back to coming into the season. I mean, the Bucks were a 14 to one odd according to MGM coming into the season to go to the Super Bowl. So uh, while obviously this is they've had a great year. Isn't this what we sort of expected? I mean, we thought that part of the reason he was going to Tampa was to have a run Mm -hmm. at the Super Bowl. So it's all worked out exactly as planned, and I take nothing away from it. But I think sometimes as I've listened across the course of today, I feel like I've been listening to people talk about Brady taking the Bucs to the Super Bowl like he, in fact, took, you know, the Raiders to the Super Bowl. It wasn't wasn't that drastic. I mean, he he took the team that he was expected to take to the Super Bowl to the Super Bowl. So, I mean, oversimplification maybe. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't know why we're heaping so much praise on him like this has come out of nowhere. It's Spain and Fitz here. Spain, Jason Fitz. He's still very bitter about the tuck rule, guys. Very, very bitter. Uh, I want to get to the field goal, but I want to do it quickly. I want to limit ourselves because all day and all of last night, the conversation was about Matt LaFleur, the decision to kick the field goal and hand the ball back to Tom Brady. I'm going to put 30 seconds on the clock for you and then 30 for me. And then we'll move on because there's other stuff to get to. So here's your 30 seconds on kicking a field goal instead of going for it on fourth down with about two minutes to play. Ready, go. Matt LaFleur, you got to remember, this is not the same NFL that it was 10 years ago. At this point, you've got to be aggressive. You have to give yourself opportunity to go in and score touchdowns. And realistically, you also got to forget about analytics for a minute and remember the game you're in. You've got Aaron Rodgers. Try and score a touchdown, and if you don't, you're at least pinning Tampa Bay back towards their own end zone and trying to win some sort of a a field position battle. But by doing none of that and taking the field goal, you took the game out of your own hands. I don't care what the analytics say. I care about common sense at some point. Look at the quarterback you have and get the right thing done. Very well said. Very well said. I will add only to him to start the clock for myself, and I will add only 
only to that this. Normally, I would say look at the analytics and don't get too caught up in the situation, but you have to think about the context. And in this case, it was only a 2.5% benefit to kick there instead of going for it. And that's with every situation that's ever existed before, not the situation during which you have Aaron Rodgers and you have the best red zone offense in the history of the NFL. And when you give it away to the other team, you're giving it to Tom Brady, who is one of the most legendary finishers we've ever seen. You have to care about that instead of just saying to yourself, the numbers tell me I have a slightly higher percentage if I can't hear. I completely agree with you. KYP, know your personnel. And KYTP, know their person. Shoot, I messed that up. KTYP, know their personnel. Whatever it is, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> um, okay, so I want to ask the listeners this because in addition to knowing that I was going to have to endure two weeks of Brady takes. And listen, I would never argue that he is the greatest winner in the history of football. I'm just kind of tired of seeing him, right? I don't. I kind of wanted to see some other people in the mix. But that being said, I will never argue about his greatness. I will be frustrated eternally by all the statistics that you can pull up in support of Tom Brady that use other teams as the doormat to prove his greatness. And there was one posted by one of our ESPN 1000 Chicago radio hosts in the last year. At the age of 43, Tom Brady has won as many playoff games as the Bears have since 1995. God. In one year with the Bucks, And at the age of 43, he has won as many playoff games as my Chicago Bears since 1995. So I want to ask you, and I'm going to put this up at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. What's the most depressing Brady-related stat when compared to your team, your local newspaper person or radio host or sportscaster, what have they laid out today for you to do remind you just how much your team sucks compared to anyone that Tom Brady has ever played with? I'm sure there's one for the Raiders. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I've got you one on the Raiders. Uh, okay, you're on the here. clock for that. He is now tied with the Raiders in number of conference championship game appearances. So he has in his <laughs> career made as many conference games appearances as my beloved in the, Raiders in the have history in their entire of the Raiders. history. Yoinks! ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. At Progressive, they're making things even easier. They'll help you bundle your car car and home insurance together so you can save on both. Learn more at Progressive.com or 1-800-PROGRESSIVE. Coming up, there's another quarterback you're going to hear a lot about for the next two weeks. And he helped out Fitz in a big way. We'll tell you how next. ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast. My pick is the Packers. I think Green Bay is actually going to win this game pretty easily. Now, look, I'm confident enough on this one that I put money on it. I'm dabbling. Stop doing that you, and stop I'm, saying it I'm, and stop I'm, I'm being confident. That never works out for you. I put confidently uh, my bet on Kansas City here. Uh, the quarterbacks are the difference in this one. The Chiefs roll. It's very difficult for me to pick against the Chiefs. But since I am wavering and since you are ahead of me, might as well mix Ooh. things up and go ahead and pick the Bills. You lose. I'm, I'm listen. I'm just glad that they included the context. That was me trying to do the thing that you're supposed to do, where you're like, well, if I pick the same as you and you're ahead of me, then that won't help me at all. So I'm going to pick the opposite of you. But ever picking against the Chiefs is something I should really never, ever, ever let myself off the hook for. How could you pick against the Chiefs? It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast 
all sorts of good stuff, including a very strange pre-party today. That's just going to leave it at that. It's very yeah. strange. Yeah, yeah, it involves no a theory that Fitz has that's actually quite wise, but pretty gross. Uh, and that's where I'm going to leave it. <laughs> Let's get to some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. The other side of yesterday's uh, uh, weekend was a Bills-Chiefs game that, listen, I'll admit on both games, I thought they were going to be close. Um, I was surprised that the Bills, who I think basically had won like 11 straight uh, and and looked fantastic and was a team that, you know, seemed more consistent than the Chiefs team that would often get behind or look a little bit bored. Um, I thought they'd put up more of a fight. And I guess what happened was, uh, you know, I, I forgot that the Kansas City Chiefs are basically unstoppable offensively when they're trying their hardest, when Andy Reid is putting together the most impossible game plan to break, and when the Super Bowl's on the line. It's really hard to get back to the Super Bowl in the NFL. It doesn't happen very often. It was basically a Tom Brady New England thing, right? Um, and I and to me it just felt like uh, maybe that maybe they wouldn't be able to get themselves hyped forward enough against a, a Bills team that felt destined. And I was I was wrong to think it would be close. Well, it, look. First and foremost, I did put I did put a little money on uh, on both games. I put more money on the Chiefs. I was very confident in look that. Look at you. That worked out for me. So, uh, by the way, so far I've been dabbling. I'm at break even. So you know, I'm uh, some weeks have gone better than other, but I at least. I'm at break even at this point, which for cheap old me feels good. But you know, the funniest thing to me was when the game uh, at one point was nine nothing Buffalo. I sort of scoffed and I, I was texting some buddies and I was like, "Yeah, nothing is secure here." And when mm-hmm. the game was the opposite way, when the the Chiefs were up by sixteen, I texted my buddies and said, "You can turn it off now." If the if it were the reverse, you can't because you can never trust a lead against Kansas City. What we saw here, and I feel like I've said this a million times this season, but this wasn't a statement about the Bills. This was a statement about how stinking good the Chiefs are. And right now, I think they are virtually impossible to beat. It is just how good Patrick Mahomes is playing, yes, but it's also how smart the coaches are, how well-designed the plays are. You Even when you know what's coming, you can't stop it. You can't stop the athleticism. And this was a Patrick Mahomes with a bum toe that was still doing this to them. So I'm looking across the field and saying, hey, this is a statement about the greatness of Kansas City, which I think sustainably is going to make them great for a very long time. Listen, I'm just glad I don't have to make a pick right now because the way you're talking, it sounds like you are about ready to put Tom Brady to bed again, and I'm learning my lesson. It took seconds. It took seconds for me to put my cash on the Chiefs. And you know what? And frankly, you know what I did? I never do this, Sarah. You know what I did? I went all in. I just took the the entirety of what I had in the account, and I went all chips in on the Chiefs. Stop putting this stuff out in the universe. It has not ended well for you. I feel like I've even Um, thought about putting more in. I'm just so – that's how confident I am in Kansas City. One of the things that I talked about last night on social media was how unfair it is for AFC teams to go straight from Brady to Mahomes. This is like if Michael Jordan and Bill Russell had overlapped. And a lot of people came back with other suggestions of, well, these two players did. No, I'm talking dynastic runs where you don't get a win in overlapping. And that's essentially Russell, who won, whatever, 11 and 13 years or something crazy like that, and then Jordan and the Bulls of the 90s. They didn't get any breathing room. You don't get to be as excited about, you know, Josh Allen, if you're the Bills, as you would be otherwise, because you're looking at Patrick Mahomes and what could be two decades again of dominance by a team 
in your conference. Now, it's not the same as your division. The Bills get out from under the Patriots stepping on their neck in their own division. But if your conference championship means you're running up against Mahomes, just like you did for 20 years with Brady, that's not fair. <laughs> they, need, they needed a couple years to give themselves a, a shot like the Spurs did when, when Jordan left. I, I think, honestly, at this point, Kansas City is well-positioned to have a level of dominance and a run much like the, the Patriots had. And, and you can look at how well they're playing and how young Patrick Mahomes is to, to look at that for you know a real signal of what's to come, they hope, in Kansas City. It, realistically, what needs to happen is there has to be a 1A that rises in the AFC, and I don't know who that's going to be, but is as predictable as the Patriots and Brady were to the Super Bowl for the what felt like the duration of their time together, Sarah, part of what made it interesting still was you knew you were going to get Brady versus Mahomes, because, or sorry, Brady versus Manning, because every year the Colts and the, the Patriots were going to win their division. My hope is that as the Bills continue to move forward, as somehow Baltimore gets more weapons, maybe Lamar Jackson takes another step forward, maybe the Browns can step up. The fact that there could be another team in the AFC that contends, I think it's important because otherwise things could get really boring and predictable in the AFC for a long time just because of how good Andy Reid is, how good Mahomes is. I mean, it, it's hard for me not to look at the Chiefs and say, hey, they're set to be really successful for a very long time. And as a Raiders fan, that stinks to watch. It's, it's part of the reason that, all jokes aside, I continue to look at it and say, my God, if there's anything you can do to acquire Deshaun Watson, you do it. Because otherwise, you're going to be looking at Patrick Mahomes in the division for a very long time and saying, well, our hope is that we can at least contend for the wild card and maybe somehow something crazy can happen. By the way, our producer, Stash, who is a Chiefs fan, said, speak for yourself. Uh, this is going to be great. It will not be boring at all. I am all in for there not being even a number two that can contend. Uh, it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Perfect. Fitz, Mike Tannenbaum, <laughs> ESPN NFL front officer was on, uh, front office insider was on KJNZ this morning, talking about how if Mahomes and the Chiefs can outdo that Bucks front line that we saw, it'll be impressive. If they win the title with this offensive line, you could put him in the argument of being the greatest of all time. Mm. You know, greatness to me in any sport is how you make people around you better. And they're going to go into that game against the Buccaneers with five linemen that are either seventh-round picks undrafted. They're going to be missing both of their starting tackles. And we're going to be talking for the next two-week, guys, about this great pass rush of Tampa Bay. They had five sacks last night on Aaron Rodgers. You have this beat-up Kansas City Chief offensive line. But Mahomes is so good. He's so fast with the ball. He's so quick-minded. He's so twitchy as an athlete. Like, he has it all. And when you can overcome that offensive line the way he did yesterday and Again, if they win the title, I just think it puts him into another stratosphere. And that's, to me, going to be the game within the game is how quickly he can react to this really good Buccaneer pass rush. And Fitz, I play that in part just to remind you that your quickness in picking the Chiefs is, you know, going in the face of a guy that's in his 10th Super Bowl and a defense in the Bucks that has made two great quarterbacks look downright uh Pedestrian? I was going to say pedestrian, but I'm going to go yeah. even worse than that. You get two guys like that to throw multiple picks and stuff, and it, it's it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough one. Yeah, and you're right. Look, I picked against the Bucks in the first round. I was wrong. I picked the Bucks in, against the Bucks in the second <laughs> round. I was wrong. I'm, I, like I'm consistent here. I just keep picking against the Bucks, and it's not working. I was wrong against the Saints. I was wrong against the Packers, and maybe I'll be wrong again against the Chiefs. But but this has, like I said before, so little to do with the opponent and so much to do with just watching Patrick Mahomes, and he makes everything look easy. It's just hard to yeah. see a way to beat him. Well, later in the show when we do good take hot take, we'll get to someone who says Mahomes is overrated. It's just about his weapons. 
Uh, This was Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contracts, no compromise. Coming up, we could be looking at a pretty wild offseason at the quarterback position. This is something, Fitz, we usually talk about in the NBA. Big superstars out on the market. It has been recently that we've had this happen in the NFL, and we might have it again this offseason. We'll talk about quarterback chaos and other NFL news coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. And it fits on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, be sure to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast today. We have a particularly weird pre-show, so get out there and hang out with it. We give you some exclusive content that you can only get right there. In the meantime, we're going to head over to the Goodyear hotline to get a little insight on what we saw yesterday and what it means for everything going on in the NFL. We're joined by Charles Robinson, Yahoo Sports senior NFL reporter. Charles, thanks for the time, man. We always appreciate you returning the call and coming on to hang out with us. So uh, make a little sense of how you stop Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs at this point. <laughs> I, I'm not making nearly enough money. Yeah, fair to, question, to that. I'll tell That's you what, real fair. Let, let, me, let me give you the most basic one. Don't single up. Tyreek Hill. Okay, let's, let's start there. Let's, let's not do single coverage, which uh, you know I think was one of the big mistakes that you saw with with the Buffalo Bills. That there was even a thought of of singling them up. And and if you go back to the Tampa game, the last time Todd Bowles faced him, Todd also tried to single him up at times. A mistake. So um, you you really like to me. You, when you talk to people around the league who deal with the Chiefs, I mean, they say zone is the way to go, but they're like, it's imperfect. And it's it's still a problem because, you know, you got Travis Kelsey who tends to chop up zones and you have, you know, Pat Mahomes who goes off script, which just murders zones. And so it's really not a good I, – I, I can't tell – I mean, like, have two healthy safeties. I mean, it would be great if, if mm-hmm. Tampa Bay could have, you know, everybody healthy and on the field for their defense. Um. And I would say the pass rush, you know, showing up the way that it showed up against Aaron Rodgers is a big deal. I mean, for, for Jason Pierre-Paul and Dominican Sue, Shaq Barrett, all those guys, really, you got to get off against, uh, against that line. And, you know, them losing Eric Fisher helps because now you're talking about, you know, two first-string valued offensive lines, if you consider Mitch Schwartz also being out, um, that they're down when you compare, compare it to past years. So... Get get that pass brush pressure. Make sure that you know you're not singling up Tyreek Hill, and I guess constantly adjust. That's the best I got. <laughs> yeah, I mean because the problem is if you focus on Tyreek Hill, all of a sudden Mecole Hardman, who's essentially also basically yep. a four by one hundred runner in the Olympics, is on is on you doing things like he can do. Um, I want to get back to that game, but I, I want to before I forget talk about a tweet that you posted last night that I thought was just spot on. Aaron Rodgers has three touchdowns. One interception, almost 350 yards, and a 69% completion rate. Tom Brady has three touch, uh, three turnovers and three passes, and an okay but not great day. And the narrative is, of course, about Aaron Rodgers. He should have run it there on that third down. He should have done this. He should have done right. that. And it was essentially Aaron Rodgers had to be perfect and wasn't, but was close. And Brady could be far from perfect and still win. And in the end, we're still going to blame each quarterback or or praise each quarterback for the success the team as a whole has. Um I, that's why I think this is this is Aaron Rodgers looking and saying, "I'm never going to get to do it here. I got to go somewhere else." I I think if there's ever a game where he looked across the sideline and saw a quarterback and maybe saw himself, this is that game because you know Tom. 
you look at Tom Brady, came from an organization before he gets to Tampa. You know, New England, they valued him, but when it came to personnel decisions, um, you know, when it came to some of the coaching decisions, they didn't lean on him. They weren't, they weren't going to Tom and going, hey, what do you think we should do here? Bill was doing what he wanted with the staff. Personnel-wise, Bill was doing what he wanted. You know, Tom wanted to keep Danny Amendola. That didn't happen. You know, there were other players that Tom valued um, that, that, you know, went by the wayside, and I think it frustrated him. And, you know, some of that, it, it came into why Tom left the Patriots when he talked about, you know, being able to play and have fun and enjoy the game. And Rodgers has had those struggles at times with the Packers. He's lost personnel battles. He's lost, you know, their coach, there were coaches they wanted to retain that weren't retained. And, you know, I think the, the difference is Tom stuck around in New England because, you know, hey, they, their, their front office moves, their coaching staff moves, they're wise enough to get a lot of the other things right. And, you know, you stick around, you just deal. And Rodgers has stuck around in, in Green Bay, and you've seen they, they just have never been able to tune that team to the point where he didn't have to be perfect to win NFC title games. You go and you look, yeah, he's one for four in NFC title games. But, okay, if Raheem Mostert doesn't run all over them last year, you know, the San Francisco 49ers, they'd probably go to the Super Bowl last yeah. year. You know, that's mm-hmm. the same situation, and that's out of Aaron's hands. So I think he looks at Brady and he says, hey, here's a guy who left the franchise. Everybody said he could never leave. Here's a guy who, um, you know, wanted to wanted a team basically to do the all in with him, to want to listen to him, to really embrace him coming in and building around his window. And he took that that shot. And, I, you know, I think Aaron's to the point where he either wants the Packers to take that shot, to, to commit to it, both financially over the next couple of years and with some roster moves or Hey, let's just part company. You drafted Jordan Love for a reason. Um, don't don't have me stick around the next couple of years as sort of a you know. Hey, we can cut you because of how your money is structured, and we're we're not really going to do everything you want. And we still are going to kind of lean into the future after you. He doesn't want that. He wants what Brady got, which was a two year commitment from the Bucks to absolutely go all in on him. We're talking to Charles Robinson, Yahoo Sports senior NFL reporter. So, Charles, let's double down on the awkwardness because realistically, Matt Lafleur was given all of the reins to the organization when he was given the power to essentially be part of drafting Jordan Love. So now your coach that many would say just lost you the game with some of his decisions also has the power of the future of the organization. I mean, at some point, is there a fork in the road that the Packers could decide on Aaron Rodgers and, and reverse course on the way that they've gone with LeFleur and Jordan Love? I mean, yeah, I, I think, look, the bottom line is you're, you're right about LeFleur, and, and Rodgers knows that. Rodgers knows that. You know, Love doesn't get drafted without LaFleur's, you know, um, acquiescing to the move. But I, I think Roger thinks, you know, like he, he was involved in it. Like it was it was a, a, both a coaching staff move and a front office move. And I think what's going to happen here and the reason why Aaron, I, I, this is what I believe, and I, I really think I'm right here. The reason why Aaron did this after the game was because I don't think he was certain he was going to have an opportunity to sort of, apply this public pressure again because it's COVID. You don't know when his availability is going to be. You don't know how exit interviews are going to go. And so I think he thought, okay, you know what? He, I think he knew if we lose this game, I'm going to take this opportunity. I'm going to say what I'm going to say, which is why he did it in, in a not so subtle way. And so I think Aaron's going to go into the off season. He's going to have his exit interviews and he's probably going to go to Brian, you know, Gutekunst, and he's going to say, here's the deal. I, I, I got some guys that are important to me that I think got to be a part of this future. Um, uh, there's elements of my contract. When you look at the, the commitment that Tom Brady just got from Tampa Bay, you drafted a kid behind me. 
a first-round pick. Here's how my money looks. It's not all guaranteed. I need you to guarantee a window here for me. And if, you, and if you're not going to do that, if we can't meet in the middle, let's work it out and figure out a way for me to go somewhere else where, where I feel like I need to be. I really believe that's the conversation that's coming. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to Charles Robinson, Yahoo Sports Senior NFL reporter. Uh, quickly, I just want to ask you, mainly because I want to prove Fitz wrong, but we had this conversation Ooh. at the end of last week that the, the Packers were ahead of everybody by going out and drafting Jordan Love and not waiting till their guy is too old that they would win with Aaron Rodgers and then have their next guy. To me, this game was proof that potentially they could have used that opportunity to shore up their team and make them even better. And when they came up short, they would be able to point to it and yet again say you prioritize the future instead of right now with this Hall of Famer you have on your roster. Which way do you side on that? Chase Claypool, uh, Justin Jefferson, mm-hmm. um, let's see, Patrick Queen. Um, I can, I mean, we can we can sit down and look at the number of players who um, contributed to other organizations that they could have gotten either at the pick that they were at, or they could have moved around a little bit and gotten aggressive to get some other guys. I mean, there were a number of, of guys in the first round that would have been very helpful. And yeah, but Charles, I know everyone's like, well, you know what, you know, look, look what he did with Tanyan and, you know, look what he did with um, Valdez Scandling. And, you know, uh, it's not like he didn't have pieces. Yeah. You know, he had pieces, but I, I'm going to tell you right now when I went through, so I have an MVP vote. When I went through the process of, you know, parsing out Aaron Rodgers versus like Pat Mahomes and, and Derrick Henry. I talked to, to basically teams that faced all these guys. And I said, tell me, you know, what you're looking at when you're seeing them and how, help me parse this out. And universally, everybody agrees. Like without Rodgers, Delta scale, he's a guy, you know, Tunyon's a guy. It's just a bunch of guys. And other than obviously Devonte Adams is special, but beyond that, people don't see special around him. They're like, he is making them special when you watch the way that he is playing right now. And so you can't tell me that there, there's no way they couldn't have added a really impactful piece. Go talk to the Baltimore Ravens about Patrick Queen. That guy was amazing for them this year. Go talk to, to the Vikings about Jefferson, the greatest wide receiver rookie season in history. Claypool is going to be a huge building block for, for the Pittsburgh Steelers you know, for years to come. You can't tell me that these wouldn't have been pieces that, that would have been very, very valuable for Aaron Rodgers and – um, you know, so to me, that's you, you, you drafted a quarterback who, frankly, in his time, exposed just or Jordan Love didn't look great. And here's the thing, too, that I don't think a lot of people realize he didn't. It's all he got better over the course of the season. He wasn't getting snaps. He's not getting reps. You know, when he's going to get better in the offseason when he can be part of a passing program and they can lean more into, you know, working on his game while well, you're doing that at the expense of Aaron Rodgers as well. So. It's a mess. It really is. It's a mess. And again, I think that's why he said what he said on Wednesday about his future being a mystery and things being out of his control. And then why he doubled down on it after that game, because I I think he's like, I know I got to send this message now and I'm going to put my foot in the dirt right away as soon as the season ends. Uh, I'm I'm still going to say, though, guys, like at the end of the day. Charles, uh, you're totally right in everything you said. I don't love the Jordan Love pick either. But at this point, the Steelers in three years when they're sitting there with Chase Claypool and no idea who their future quarterback is, I wonder how they'll feel about the pick. I'm just saying. But you have to uh, hit on love. Here's, here's the thing. Like, it's the, the idea of going after a guy is great, but the reality is you can't miss that pick. You cannot well, and miss And you can't it. miss okay? on a potential so, like, Super Bowl with the guy that you have because you didn't give him enough weapons right now because you're guessing. Right, right. You're pre- we're all preparing for Super Bowls in the NFL. I mean, that's what everybody's building toward. And so, you know, it makes – like Bruce Arians and, and Jason Light, when they went in for Brady, 
they're like, this is the window. Like we, we, we're here to win Super Bowls. Like this is the point that we're here for. And you have to sacrifice some things for that. Could we, could we have used someone else? Could we have taken that pick that we used on Tristan Wirfs and maybe moved up and gotten a young quarterback? Yeah, absolutely. We could have done that, but we're like, here's the window. We have it now. This is the guy that's going to get us there. And, you know, but teams, obviously, this is what I always tell people. It's long-term builders um, are the front office, okay? Short-term employees, those are the players. And they never have the same design in mind. Right, for sure. Charles, we appreciate your time as always, my friend. Thanks for coming on with us. Charles Robinson, Yahoo Sports Senior NFL reporter. Take care, my friend. All right, thanks for having me. Thanks, Charles. Charles. We're brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Coming up, we'll get to what could be an offseason of incredible quarterback chaos. Maybe a little hope for your favorite team. We'll break it down next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Look, I'm going to give everybody a little bit of message of hope, right? Because I think we all need this today. And I felt it yesterday. I mean, I'm sitting there watching the Chiefs. And I'm not stupid, contrary to popular belief, Sarah. Like, I'm watching this, and I realize the greatness of Patrick Mahomes, and I respect the hell out of the greatness of Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs and how effortless they make everything look. And I'm watching and thinking, God, this is the football fan in me appreciates the beauty of it, but the Raiders fan in me has absolutely no hope right now. And I got to thinking (laughs) about everybody that feels this way right now when you realize the have and have nots of that level, not not of some quarterback, but of that level of quarterback. And this could be the offseason of chaos because realistically, uh, as much as everybody's infatuated with Mahomes, well, Deshaun Watson is out there. He could end up with a new team. Uh, Dak Prescott not getting a lot of run anymore in the conversation, but let's face it, he's going to have a situation this summer that could lead him to a new team. Matt Stafford's going to have a new team. And even Aaron Rodgers in the moments after the game made it clear that things are uncertain. And you could really – hear him talking about this is Aaron Rodgers at the press conference afterwards and particularly his tone here I think is shocking a lot of guys futures that are you know uncertain you know myself included uh that's what's sad about it most getting this far obviously there's going to be an end to it at some point whether we make it past this one or not but just the uncertainty is is tough and the finality of it all I mean, Sarah, that sounds like somebody that realizes that his time in Green Bay may be completely over, whether we want that or not. I'll tell you, I was focusing more on the middle chunk there of, you know, your future is a mystery. And it it mirrors what he said before the game, right? That it's a beautiful mystery. But that last bit, the finality of it all. Now, he might just be talking about how you can have a fantastic season and likely win an MVP award and have such high hopes. And then all of a sudden, game over, season's done. Chance done, window closed. Or he might mean literally finality of my tenure with Green Bay. And we just talked to Charles Robinson about this. He might be just expressing the kind of disappointment that someone has after a loss like that, after a season like that. But he also might be looking across to Tom Brady and saying, I only have so much time left. I need to get my all-in season the way Tom Brady just did with the Bucks." I don't know where that means. But I do know that if he wants out, he can dig in his heels and make it happen, even if he's under contract for three more years. That's, I think, one of the the craziest things about this offseason that I find really interesting. The most interesting offseason story of the NFL is going to be how quarterbacks that traditionally 
just sort of make do with whatever the situation is. They they don't often speak out loudly against it, and they don't often come out and say, I'm not going to play through this situation. That's such a rare scenario. And now we have multiple places where mm-hmm. it could play out in an NBA-type standing. I mean, there aren't a lot of players in the NFL that can stand up and say, I won't take this and still have a career. But Aaron Rodgers is one. Deshaun Watson is one. Dak Prescott's going to be in the same situation, I believe. So you could have three quarterbacks that are turning around and saying, nah, I'm just not going to do this, and you can't make me. And they're not wrong in that sense. So how NFL teams handle dealing with an NBA problem when it comes to players coming out and saying, this isn't for me anymore, is the most interesting NFL concept this offseason. Yeah, and the Stafford one sounds like it's a done deal. 12 seasons, and I think both sides can say, look, we we gave it our best. This isn't going to get either of us where we want. Um, And if I'm Stafford, I absolutely, at age 33, want to give myself a shot somewhere else, somewhere where people are going to surround me with the right talent, where it feels like there's a front office that knows what they're doing. And if you're the Lions, you're almost okay with that because you've been so bad of late that you're wasting his career, but you're also not allowing yourself to fully refresh and get the kind of talent that you need. Um, and according to our producer, Stosh, Stafford's wife put out a goodbye to Michigan on Instagram today. I've mentioned before, I was at, I was at a wedding and he was the groomsman. Such a nice guy. His wife was so nice. It made me feel bad calling him Sack Matford. Uh, I hope he goes somewhere that I can cheer for instead of in my own. Maybe the Bears. Listen, I'm a little... Stafford has never won anything. Then again, he's been on the Lions so it's like, can you judge him at all? I mean, in college, he didn't win either. But I, I still would absolutely take Stafford over any of the quarterbacks we've had lately. He's incredibly talented. Um, but that one makes sense to me, and that one's very clear. Deshaun Watson, we'll still see if they can somehow save themselves from having to trade him. And Aaron Rodgers, I'm 50-50 on right now. I'd be actually a little bit surprised if he did end up leaving. Well, go back to the Stafford thing for a second, because I'm with you. He's never won anything. We know that. The Lions have never won anything. But this shows you the difference sort of in the way that we approach the quarterback position and also modern coverage of the NFL. Because, believe me, before this gets taken out of context, I'm not putting them in the same category and class as players overall. But Barry Sanders never won anything either. If, if that's mm-hmm. if the standard is I'm going to go to the Super Bowl and win it, Barry Sanders never won a Super Bowl. Obviously, never made it to a Super Bowl. He eventually just walked away because the Lions were going to Lions. So you know, it's funny how we look back at, at the Barry Sanders chapter and say, "Hey, the Lions managed to screw up that." And, and then we Calvin turn around, Johnson. Yeah. Uh, oh, a thousand Same percent. Thing. Another great example. But we don't look at those guys and say, I wouldn't want them on my team. They never won anything. No, obviously you do. And and that's why I think some people are are particularly hyped on Matt Stafford and and his ability because, you know, he's going to – there are – these are big brand-name quarterbacks that can win playoff games, Sarah. I love the idea of quarterback chaos because that's been the case for my franchise for almost its entirety of its existence. So if everybody else has their quarterback situation shaken up, it puts them on a slightly more level grand, and it makes the possibility that my Bears could end up with one of these three guys. Of course, Matt LaFleur was very, very insistent that Rodgers, well, of course, I hope he's going to be back. He's the MVP. He's great. So we don't know for sure if Rodgers is out, but... I just like the idea of people either being unhappy or potentially leaving because it means that it's better for my crap storm of a team. Look, as long as one of our two favorite teams, preferably mine, gets Deshaun Watson, this will be a, per- <laughs> a, a, a perfect, minute. perfect no, offseason. You're so well, crazy. you know, I always, always try it. All right, coming up, we hear all of the takes all day. We'll break them down. Good take, hot take is next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. 
You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Uh, we asked you guys for some statistics uh, from Tom Brady that made your team look even sadder than it already does. You guys are coming through at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. Uh, a stat at Ripple Rat says all of them. I'm a Dolphins fan. At Michael <laughs> Heinbach. I root for the Cleveland Browns. That's the tweet. Uh, but we're also getting some good specific ones, so keep those coming. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And because we're always on late, especially on Mondays, we like to take a full day's worth of reactions to the NFL weekend and decide whether we think our colleagues are giving good takes or hot takes to the weekend's action. And we got some very interesting takes to go through today as everyone reacts to championship weekend in the NFL. Let's start with Max Kellerman on first take, who had this to say about Aaron Rodgers' role in the Packers' loss. Aaron Rodgers had daylight. He would have run it in for a touchdown. Worst case scenario for the Packers, they'd have got him on the one-yard line. You know what would have happened? LaFleur would have gone for it. If they were on the one-yard line, LaFleur, if it's... If it's, if it's Fourth and goal, LaFleur goes for it. They weren't. Rodgers made a bad decision. Rodgers is better than Tom Brady in every single aspect of the game up until it matters most. And then Tom Brady's better than Aaron Rodgers. And that's why the Bucs are going to the Super Bowl and in his entire career, Rodgers, who won 13 games last year, is going to be the MVP this year, improved from last year this year. With the money on the line, didn't come through when Tom Brady did, and that's why the Bucs are going to the Super Bowl and the Packers aren't. And at the beginning of that clip, he said, Rodgers choked. Good take or hot take? That's a hot take. I mean, look, I'm not going to sit here and say that Aaron Rodgers uh, played that play perfectly. He had real estate in front of him. We all saw it. I don't know why he tried to force the ball in, but realistically to say that he choked in that moment, I'm just not buying it. There's nothing about that. There, there was no one open. He could have tried to run it in, and I think they would have gone for it on fourth down, but I was stunned they didn't go for it either way on fourth down. I'm not putting that on Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, that's a, absolutely a hot take to me. Uh, trying to boil that whole game down to one play where it looked like he would have gotten caught if he'd run for it and been stopped short. One yard is generous, even at the three-yard line. Maybe a little generous. Either way, he probably wouldn't have made it. I would have liked to see him run. But he said after the game, I I would have run a different play. If I would have reacted differently if I knew we weren't going to get a fourth down. Who in their right mind would have imagined that you'd kick there when you have the best red zone efficiency of any team ever and when you'd be handing the ball back to Tom Brady and when, like you said earlier, you'd have great field position if you went for it. So I, I'm not saying that Rodgers choked in a game where he performed much better than Brady and his team ended up losing. That is a hot take. Let's get to Stephen A. Smith and the other game. On first take today, Stephen A. Smith said, enough about Patrick Mahomes. Let's talk about how the weapons are what makes him good. Give me Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. I tell you that Deshaun Watson could be his equal. I tell you that Aaron Rodgers could be his equal. Hell, in two weeks from now, I might tell you Tom Brady could be his equal. If you're talking to me about those weapons, I am sick and tired of people ignoring the weapons. That one ended earlier than I thought. But either way, you got the point. We're ignoring the weapons. Are we doing that, Fitz, or are we accurately talking about a great quarterback? Good take or hot take? I mean, this is a hot take. And, I mean, we have seen... The, the And I don't think the weapons always get enough credit. I will say that. I think they have some great pieces there in Kansas City. 
But to think that anybody could come in and do this or that the quarterbacks he listed, yes, Deshaun Watson I think has Patrick Mahomes-like talent, but the number of talent, the players that can actually do that is uh, is absolutely limited. And by the way, our stats and info people have, have this great uh, nugget here that Patrick Mahomes, the king of throwing on the run since he became a starter, in 2020 he averaged 4.96 miles per hour on his passing attempts. That's second fastest amongst any quarterback with 200 passes. So it shows you that he runs around fast than everybody he has 83 completions when throwing on the run he's not doing that because of his weapons he's doing that because of his athleticism which lets his weapons get over they get open they feed each other and I think that to give all this praise to anybody other than Patrick Mahomes doesn't make sense yeah this is a hot take um the part about Aaron Rodgers if Aaron Rodgers had these guys around him I can see it it's a mobile quarterback with a great arm a ton of football knowledge and can see the field, can read defenses, can call audibles, can make the smart play, can escape the pocket, like all those things. If if Aaron Rodgers had had these guys early in his career the way we've seen with Patrick Mahomes, I think he could be this guy. Maybe Deshaun Watson has a shot to being close, but you can't separate one from the other and not know what it would look like if you drop Patrick Mahomes into another team and how those weapons would look for him if he's making the plays and throwing the passes and moving around in the pocket like he does. I don't know why you would look at Patrick Mahomes and say anything other than this is a goat in the making that may one day surpass Tom Brady. Um, you could absolutely give credit to the weapons. You can absolutely talk about how that team is impossible to cover, but I'm not taking anything away from Patrick Mahomes while doing that. It's Spain and Fitz here, Spain, Jason Fitz. Do a little good take, hot take. We take some of our uh, colleagues' responses to the weekend of football and, and decide whether they were given a good take or a hot take. Let's get... Uh, Another take from Max Kellerman on first take. This is what he said about Tom Brady and the pressure on all these guys coming into the weekend. This was an enormous legacy game. I tried to say beforehand, Brady had the most to gain in in these entire playoffs, and he did it. He's going back to the Super Bowl. He bested Montana. Okay, I'm going to go first on this one. This is such a hot take, Fitz. I know that we love to play the game of this season will tell us once and for all, was it Brady or Belichick? Okay, well, everybody needs to poop on Belichick now. He clearly had nothing to do with all of their success in New England. It was always about Brady, even though this sport is not about a quarterback. It's not quarterback wins and losses. It's how you fit on a team. Even though we saw him throw three interceptions in the second half and his team still won, even though we saw that defense for the second straight week dominate the opposing team's quarterback and get tons of pressure on them. We're still going to say that this was the most pressure on a guy that's already considered the greatest of all time, that's already been to nine Super Bowls? Nah. There was way more pressure on Aaron Rodgers, who may have run out of time. This might have been his last window. I mean, come on. this To me, nah. That's a hot take. Well, and, and you're right. It is a hot take. Look at what we've seen today. I mean... Th- at some point, Tom Brady is the LeBron James of football. Like, And I don't mean in his accolades. I mean in his divisiveness. You either love him or you're out on him. And, and nothing you can say is going to change anybody's mind one way or the other. It doesn't matter what Brady does. If you're anti-Brady, you're still going to come in and say, yeah, but look at all the Patriots did during their time. you know. And if you're pro-Brady, you're going to say, yeah, but look at everything he's accomplished. Like Nothing is going to change the legacy of Tom Brady at this point. In fact, once he got the Buccaneers into the playoffs and looked good at times doing it, it even became a conversation of who's to blame when they didn't play well, Arians or Brady. Like the amount of, of conversation and apology for or against Brady is already ingrained in society. Nothing that happens will change it one way or the other. So uh, it, there was no pressure on his legacy in this game. 
I mean, listen, it helps because everyone's still going to talk about how was this the best he's ever done? Look at what he did for a team that hadn't been in it. Look what he did without Belichick. I mean, there's a lot to be gained here. But the most pressure, he would have been fine if he never won another game after he left New England. Dan Orlovsky, ESPN NFL analyst, was on first take today talking about the quarterback chaos we hinted at. A couple of quarterbacks looking to do something else in the future. And he talked about Stafford and what what might happen if he leaves the Lions. Whatever teams are in the Deshaun Watson running and the Deshaun Watson conversation, they should be into the Matthew Stafford conversation as well. And so wherever he goes, that team automatically takes a step forward. If it's San Francisco or Indy, those two teams, they become Super Bowl contenders. He's that great of a player. Okay, hot take or good take? Oh, I think that's, man, I think that's a hot take. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm on the edge on this one. And I, I respect everything Dan says so much, but I mean, I'm not going to put him in the same category. Like, if my beloved Raiders traded for Deshaun Watson tomorrow, I would be doing cartwheels, like up and down the street. I don't even know how to do a cartwheel. I would try. It doesn't matter. I would let the world see me attempt a cartwheel just to get Deshaun Watson. They get Matt Stafford. I'm like, all right, that's cool. Like, let's not make him in the same category. By the way, we never discussed that you were supposed to learn how to swim by the end of 2020, and you didn't. So let's add can't do a cartwheel, can't ride a bike, can't Can you do a swim. Cartwheel? Can sir speak? I can do great cartwheels. Cartwheels, wow. round off, splits. Used to be able to do full handsprings. Been a while, probably not with my back now, but I'll send you a video of me doing a cartwheel. We've gone over this before. I challenged a bunch of dudes to cartwheels on Highly Questionable. It didn't go well for them. A bunch of people knocked over stuff in their houses trying to prove they could do it. Uh, that is a hot take. I think Matt Stafford can make a handful of teams good, but he said any team that's in the mix for Deshaun Watson should be in the mix for Stafford and he'll make them a Super Bowl contender. I disagree. I do not think that's the case for every single team. Look at the Jets. The Jets are not a Super Bowl contender if they get Matt Stafford, and they are absolutely in the mix for Watson. So good player. Could have a great future somewhere else for the last couple years of his career, but it's a little bit hot. Was that all hot takes? I think so. That's think a record went, for us. Yeah, well, that's good. You know, we're, we're on fire here. Things are getting we're, fiery as the season wraps. We're making friends with all of our peers. Uh, <laughs> all right, that was a good take, hot take on Spain and Fitz. Coming up, Tampa, Florida is the hot, hot, hotbed for all things championships. We'll look ahead to the next big moment for that city on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. She needs nothing more than just knowing that she gets to hang out with me every day. That's all the excitement Sarah needs. Mm. Oh, yeah, okay. Mm. Uh, so we're presented by Progressive Insurance. Uh, <laughs> all of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline, and we're brought to you by My Computer Career Training for a Better Life. So in the world of, you know, I think this has almost become as played out as Bernie memes at this point, but in the world of how 2020 is it, that conversation, a carryover from it would be the thought that it's 2021, you live in Tampa, you're a lifelong Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. Your favorite team just became the first ever to play a home game in their city for the Super Bowl, and it's not going to be open to the general public. Sarah, like that just feels like such a <laughs> weird disconnect for all of it to know that your favorite team could be in your city playing in your Super Bowl, and you can't get in the building. Well, you can, but you got to be loaded because <laughs> they are giving away a significant number of the tickets to – uh, first responders and vaccinated essential workers, which is great. Um, and I hope not some disgusting ploy to try to sanitize the decision to hold this game that might be a potential super spreader event in the middle of a pandemic, like something about the visuals that they might use of here's a bunch of doctors and nurses giving their stamp of approval is a little bit creepy to me. Um, but beyond that, you have to buy 
a package of four tickets minimum at 34200 total dollars. Oh. So a, a, each one is roughly around $8,500, and you need to buy a package of four. Um, so, yeah, plus the fees of another $6,156. So you plus three fans can be in the seats for over $10,000 each or a grand total of 40000 which My is God. in Section 318, upper level corner. My God. I mean, I'm... I'm... I'm shook by that. So the first time I ever went to a Super Bowl experience was in New Orleans years ago, and uh, the Super Bowl was down there. And uh, so we went down just to be a part of the action, see what went on at a Super Bowl and go to the NFL experience, do all that. And at the last second, I was like, you know what? I'm going to try and buy a ticket. I want to get into the stadium. And I looked at it, and I think it was like $3,000 for an awful seat. And I thought, no, can't do that. Yeah. There's no way I'm going to that game. I can't imagine ten grand to get in. And I, it kind of breaks my heart, not just for Tampa Bay fans, but also for – and there's only a handful of them. But there are people that have gone to every Super Bowl in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the legacy people. Like, I don't know how they're going to even – attempt to get into this game like streaks are going to end because of the Super Bowl I realize that's a very very minimal problem compared to what the rest of the world is right. dealing with but it just breaks my heart Sarah we don't have time for me to tell my story about the time that I thought that Super Bowl tickets were reasonably priced and then it embarked upon an adventure uh to attend for free <laughs> you can look it up but I will say that I've now been to I think four games um without ever paying for them <laughs> That's how you'd have to get to a Super Bowl unless you're super rich is know somebody or have someone at the last minute say, oh, my company, you know, has a bunch and this guy decided to fly home instead of going. Do you want to go? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, because otherwise it is it's it's cost prohibitive. And it is especially as this year because they're giving away seventy five hundred to the healthcare workers. And I believe there are twenty two thousand total yep. being allowed in, which Man, those Chiefs games have already been super packed, and that's thirteen or, or fifteen thousand. So it's it's significantly more than we've even seen in KC. By the way, I, I got to go to three straight Super Bowls before I got into this business, and I thought, man, this is great. Now I'm going to work at ESPN. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get to go to even time. more. Haven't nope. been to a Super Bowl since. <laughs> I don't know how that happens. Uh, but in the meantime, it also sort of brings up a, a an interesting, you know, Tampa situation where. Tampa's got to be looking around feeling like maybe, maybe they're the new it city for championship runs Mm -hmm. in professional sports. I mean, the Tampa Bay Rays went to the World Series. The Tampa Bay Lightning won Lord Stanley's Cup. And now you've got a Super Bowl in Tampa with the Buccaneers there. Like, maybe this is the it city. I mean, the Lightning should probably feel good because they've sort of been in the mix. The Rays should probably know that this is a team that doesn't even spend when they're in the mix. And now that they made it, they will probably be ready to, you know, dump cash all over again and, and be, be fine being seller dwellers. And I guess the Bucks will have to look at Tom Brady and said he did say he wanted to play till 45. So maybe we get a three year run here where we're in the mix. But I wouldn't get too ahead of themselves as a city. They're, they're not they're not going to be a Boston anytime soon. I mean, that is a fair, like, I guess and I don't Boston, mean to poop on their parade. I am happy for them. I think it's cool when cities that are not usually one of the major ones get this kind of thing. So I'm sorry that sounded negative. I just, uh, you know, to, don't get your hopes up too much. I don't know, but the the fact that you say poop on their parade so, like, cute. <laughs> I, I mean, there's it's rare that I say, oh, that, that was really cute the way you said it. But that just, you know, you said poop yeah, on their parade. It's like yucking your yum. I stole that from you. Yucking what? 
You don't want to yuck someone's yum. Isn't that yours? No, that is not mine. Oh, that, this well, maybe maybe golf. Maybe that was a golf thing. I'm mixing up with Spain and company. Either way, someone once said, I don't want to yuck someone's yum. And I was like, I am stealing that. That is a great way to look at it. Oh, my God. This is amazing. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. And, you know, obviously for Tampa Bay, this is the dream situation that they hoped for. I think it is weird to have a Super Bowl in a home city, but I got to remind myself too, Sarah, so few people that go to these games are necessarily fans of that team. It is actually a great moment. You know, I'll never forget being at the Super Bowl in New York and the people sitting in front of me in front of me were from Denver and behind me were from Seattle as that game went on. And, you know, the, the Denver fan was with his wife or girlfriend and just was sobbing, uncontrollably sobbing in the second half because not just because the game had gone awry, but because of the amount of money he'd spent on tickets and on hotel and on, mm. you know, staying there. Like it, it's sort of a reminder very few people in the stands are actually fans of these individual teams. It just feels like opportunity lost to have a really cool moment for Tom Brady and for Tampa Bay to be in their stadium with their home crowd. Like I, I'm sure I will say still- this though. The silver lining fits is that for all those people who couldn't afford to go anyway, they don't have to travel to be a part of whatever happens down there. It's not going to be a regular Super Bowl. One of my friends is on the planning committee, and I feel awful for him trying to figure out like what we're going to do. They've had years to plan this and so much excitement, and now they have to temper it and figure out how to make things work during COVID. But at least they don't have to fly anywhere, right? Like They yeah. get to be in the city that all the action is happening and support their team uh, at a time when they probably wouldn't want to fly. Well, and to that end, I still think every time I've gone to a Super Bowl, it's the events that happen around the game, yeah. the NFL experience stuff that's always so amazing. So hopefully they can figure the out some way. I mean, oh my God, and the party. So the, so we, bummed. I'm so bummed year. that my buddy from the Chiefs is in it. My buddy Grog's in it. All of Grog's party crew is going to be down there. My buddy's on the planning committee, and COVID is ruining my ability to take advantage of all of my networking and schmoozing. And let's I'm talk the about real the, victim here. Well, I was going to ride your coattails <laughs> to this, so I think we're both victims. Uh, uh, you Darn know. it all. <laughs> all right, coming up, is this Tom Brady's best Super Bowl run ever? One person thinks so. He'll talk about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Back to Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. And our next guest, Ben Volan of the Boston Globe, wrote a great story pointing out all the ways that Tom Brady has proved once and for all that no matter what you throw up against him as proof that he's not that great, that it's somebody else or it can't be done, he's got an answer for it. And yet still, somehow, Fitz will not give him any credit because he's so angry about the tuck rule. We'll see if our conversation... When he says that it was a fumble and not a tuck, I'll give him all the love he wants. Go ahead. We'll see if Ben can convince Fitz out of it. Ben, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me. And, and Fitz, I, I actually believe with you that the tuck rule, that was a fumble. You should feel bitter about that all these years <laughs> later. Um, so I, I agree with you. I think everyone on the field knew that was a fumble. See, that's how I knew I like Ben. And look how far that cut you. Absolutely nowhere. Uh, Brady still has all the success he's had since. But I loved how you laid out the story. Because, listen, I'm kind of sick of watching Brady win uh, but I can't deny his greatness. And you're right. You know, Everyone said after 40, he'll drop off. He hasn't. Everyone said maybe it's just about Belichick. It wasn't. Can't win on the road. He goes and wins multiple games uh, during this postseason run away from home and does so with the deep ball that everyone said was gone 
and does something no one's ever done before, add it to his list of leading his team to a Super Bowl in his own hometown. How difficult was it for you to write this story, or are you enthusiastic about his success outside of Boston? I mean, I think it's tremendous. It's absolutely tremendous to see Brady leave the Patriots, go to a team that has had no history of success, um, you know, hadn't won a playoff game since 2007, kind of a ragtag bunch, a very talented group, but definitely not a, a group of players that knew how to win. And Tom Brady goes down there, and he's basically the head coach and the quarterback and the GM all wrapped into one, and he kind of takes over the show. And he leads them to the promised land. He's got them in the Super Bowl in his very first season. And uh, as, you, as you said there, he, he kind of answered a lot of questions. Um, there were doubts that he could win without Bill Belichick. Well, I think he proved he could do that. Um, all throughout you know, his Patriots tenure, it was always first-round buys and home games and playing you know, tomato can quarterbacks like Marcus Mariota and uh, Byron Leftwich, whereas now you know, he, he's going on the road and beating uh, Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers, and now he's got a chance to take down Patrick Mahomes as well. So he's just, he just continues to prove everything, everyone wrong, and it's, it's amazing that here he is 21 years in his career, and he's still finding new ways to amaze us. Um, I, I didn't think it was possible after that uh, Falcon Super Bowl a few years ago, the 28 to three comeback. But this run, you know, of all the 10 Super Bowl runs that Brady's had, this is the most impressive. Given, you know, no preseason, no off season, uh, learning all the new teammates, and just all all the things we laid out before. This, of all his 10 Super Bowl runs, this is the most impressive. We're talking to Ben Volan of the Boston Globe, and and Ben, let me be clear. I'm I my all of my hate for Brady is because he wasn't the quarterback of my favorite team, and it's just raging <laughs> jealousy. So I can admit all of that. Now, having said that, at the end of Peyton Manning's career, we openly acknowledged that at times Peyton was a liability. How do we couch an, an NFC Championship game where we just watch Brady throw three interceptions that were frankly bad throws? They weren't mistakes by receivers. They were bad moments, and there were bad throws in that game by Brady there it's easy to say in this game that they won despite Brady at times yeah see I don't buy that too I, this is the second interview I've done this year where the host has tried to play this you know they won in <laughs> in spite of Brady and, and I don't agree with that now he did throw three picks in the second half no question I thought maybe the Mike Evans one that that one is maybe 50 50 for the blame but Brady certainly made some bad throws but uh hello the first half counts too and he was amazing in the first half those third down throws, I mean, one after the other. I think he was six for six on third down for like 140 yards. He had the big touchdown to Mike Evans. He had a big third down, like a 50-yard pass to Chris Godwin. He got them in position for the miracle Hail Mary touchdown at the end of the first half. And then after the turnover in the second half, they got in the red zone. He finished it off right away. So, like, Brady absolutely, you know, helped stake them out to a 28-10 to 10 lead. And then Brady closed out the game by moving them into field goal range and then gaining a couple first downs. So don't give me this nonsense that he, uh, they won in spite of him. And he's not Peyton Manning in 2015. If anyone was Peyton Manning in 2015, it was Drew Brees this year who could barely push the ball more than 15 yards downfield in that game uh, against the Bucs a couple weeks ago. But Brady was still slinging it uh, uh, the other day against the Packers and, uh, this guy is not looking his age at 43 years old. So I will, I will, I'm, I'm no Brady honk. I will readily admit that uh, he made some poor throws in the second half. But let's not pretend that he had nothing to do with this win either. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to the Boston Globe's Ben Volan, who wrote a nice story summing up all the ways that Tom Brady shouted down the haters with the latest victory and yet another Super Bowl run. 
You mentioned that you love watching this and you're super impressed by it. I'm wondering what the people of Boston are saying about this. Are they more mad at the higher ups in in Boston that thought his window was closed and let him go? Are they more mad at, at Brady for going and having success without them? Would they rather that he had failed? What are you hearing? Other than my the, dog barking. The vast, vast majority <laughs> of fans here are, are, are thrilled for Brady. I mean, the TV really? ratings okay. for this game were through the roof. Absolutely. Um, of, the, of the top five highest rated uh, markets yesterday for the game, I believe Providence was number three in the country and Boston was number five in the country. So uh, there are a lot of fans who did not want to see Tom go. And, you know, the last couple of weeks, it's really, it's really hit like a ton of bricks, like, why, again, is he not a Patriot? You know, it's not like they had some great backup plan. It's not like they had Jimmy Garoppolo waiting in the wings. And it's not like Brady's a broken-down quarterback. I mean, he's still leading his team uh, to the Super Bowl. And it's like, why Why couldn't they make this happen? It just it looks really silly in hindsight that either, you know, Belichick and Kraft either forced Brady out or they just made life so miserable for him that he wanted to get out. It, it, you know, once, once they moved on from Garoppolo and, and settled with Brady, they really should have – done whatever they could to kind of keep him happy and make sure that he could have finished his career as a Patriot. Cause it's, you know, they didn't have a good plan this year and they went seven and nine and here he is taking another team to the Super Bowl. It just seems uh, so foolish. So like today on, on sports talk radio here in Boston, Belichick was taking the L man. It was, it was not <laughs> fun for him. He's just been getting crushed. Now everyone's saying like, see, I told you so. And Brady won Belichick, nothing. Uh, I've got a column in tomorrow's paper saying, you know, Brady's really just up the ante now. I mean, him getting to the Super Bowl in his first year, Belichick's got to, I mean, he's got to go all in now. He he's can't retire. He can't and, retire until you know? he gets at least one without him. <laughs> I mean, this so, this seven and nine stuff and, and going for the cheap at quarterback, like that's not going to fly anymore. He's got to make some big splashes this year and he's got to get the Patriots back to their winning ways quickly. If he wants to, you know, I don't think it's going to ruin his reputation by any stretch, but certainly um, you know, Brady is taking the lead here. And, and the way that Brady's uh, taking command of the Bucks, it just it makes you think that maybe Brady truly was more responsible for the Patriots dynasty. Ooh, Ooh. Good ben, take or hot take. <laughs> well, I mean, we're going to find out quickly. Ben, uh, I, I think I like the way you said take command here because one of the under-talked-about portions of this transition, anytime a player comes into New England, we talk about the Patriot way. Well, I, I wondered what Brady would look like when he got away from the Patriot way. Would he enjoy it? Would he be different? Like, you covered him so much. The Brady you see today, how is he different from the Brady that you've seen in New England on the sidelines even? So that's the thing. I, I don't think it's much different at all. Now, you know, he's doing more social media stuff, and him and Gronk do these Tommy and Gronky videos that post on, like, Tuesdays. And He's definitely having his fun, and it's much more low-key there. But as far as his intensity and focus at practice, his attention to details, um, his, the effect that he's had on the Bucks is remarkable. This was a team that last year was dead last in the league in turnovers and second to last in, in penalties. And from week six on, they led the league with fewest turnovers and fewest penalties. So um, that's that is, that is strictly that is purely on Brady. Brady, the coach, Brady, um, you know, just getting everyone on the team to practice harder and pay attention to more details. So let, you know, I said in the beginning, he's not just the quarterback for this team. He's like the coach. They're they're running his offenses. He's the one organizing the offseason practices. He's kind of the general manager too. He's bringing in Gronk and Antonio Brown and whoever he needs to keep him happy. So really Brady's just running the show and, and 
Now, certainly, you know, Belichick's not around anymore, and it's probably a looser atmosphere, but I, I don't see much different from Brady. I still see an intensity and focus and, and a desire to be great, and it's definitely, you can see it rubbing off on his teammates. It's Spain and Fitz. It's Ben Volan from the Boston Globe with us. Yeah, I have to admit it. Like, it's kind of like, for me, what happened with LeBron James. Like, you can keep trying to make excuses to fend off the greatness if that person isn't your favorite for whatever reason. And eventually it's, it overflows and, and you can't deny it anymore. It doesn't mean they're your favorite or you want to see more of it, but you can't deny that Tom Brady in a sport that can't be individually won, he is still somehow individually led uh, teams to so much success. It's really remarkable. I'm actually glad that Boston's happy about it. I don't know why, because they don't deserve any, <laughs> any more happiness, but um, I guess it's, it's positive out there. Hey, thanks for the insight. Good story, Ben. Appreciate you, Ben. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who save with Progressive save over $750 on average. Coming up, speaking of people who are happy, everyone who responded to our tweet uh, earlier is not because we're going to give you all the most depressing Brady-related statistics when compared to other people's teams. Coming up next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast, particularly awkward and weird pre, uh, pre-party pre tonight, but funny. At least mm-hmm. uh, I'm biased. I think it's funny, Sarah. Uh, we've got Quad a lot of City DJs were mentioned. Yeah, uh, yeah, which yeah. Can't beat that. And a lot of dog talk. Anyway, uh, in the meantime, <laughs> we're, uh, we're, we've been talking about obviously everything going on with Tom Brady today. And today has been a day of. Uh, hot takes and uh, big thoughts on the legacy of Tom Brady. And uh, we've decided instead to go into the all uh, all in on the depressing uh, stat department, because let's remember, most of us are sitting around angry that our favorite team didn't have Tom Brady as their quarterback for an entire generation. As I mentioned before, I got the stat yesterday that Tom Brady now has as many conference game appearances in his career as my beloved Raiders have in their entire franchise history, which is saying something considering they were very good at one point before I was born. So it uh, doesn't matter. So, you know, we've been asking you guys at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, give us some of the most depressing stats that you've heard. And uh, th- this one, I don't know. I, I'm I'm a little stunned by this. We got this from a couple of people, but at KB Bruhaha says, Tom Brady had won more playoff games this January than my Bengals have in my entire 31 years of life. Brady, 69 losses. Bengals win since 2012, 68 Yay for my team, LOL. I mean, I, that's that's <sighs> tough to stomach. Yeah. Um, yep. Uh, somebody else, Adam Bartell, said one more playoff games last night than my Bengals have in the last 30 years. Oh, my God. Oh, my <laughs> that's God. That's one. That's one. <laughs> I mean, uh, at our uh, At our untouchable Kaz one, our guy Kaz, Tom Brady has 30 more career wins than my Panthers. Oh, my God. Seriously? <laughs> the franchise. Like, some of these just, they don't even make sense. K. Moran says, or K. Moran says, Tom Brady, third on the list for all-time wins at Bills Stadium. And that, <laughs> uh, let's remember, the Bills went to four straight Super Bowls at one point. That's like so sad. My God. <laughs> Since 1995, this is from at Thunder 1264, all D.C. sports teams, men's, NFL, NHL, NBA, MLB, have won a total of two world championships versus Brady's six. Oh, my God. You know, th- your, that's whole, just... your whole city, not just your football team, your whole city. I like these two at Orange GK 27. I'm a Cowboys fan, so I will not take part in this. I want to enjoy the rest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> 
We're just, yeah, I'm a Falcons him. fan. Enough said. I'm, I'm in the, he was in the same division as my Jets. Enough said. <laughs> we got one tweet that I think, you know, we always think about the Jets and our good friend Chris Mitchell that uh, produces the Freddie and Fitzsimmons that you hear after us. And, and Chris worked with us for a long time. And uh, we have several Jets fans across the landscape of ESPN Radio. So uh, the, the tweet that says, my New York Jets have 14 postseason appearances in franchise history. Tom Brady has played in 14 conference championship games <laughs> in his career. Like, that just feels gross. It just feels yeah. gross. I mean, he's been to 10 more Super Bowls than the Lions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Like, you know, this is the moment, though, when you think about the greatness of it. And this is why the Bucks went all in. We'll, we'll get to some more of it. But I, I think it's, it's just funny because this worked, right? Like, there's this moment where for all of the conversation for months about who was going to be successful when they separated and what could happen for Brady, he had to make a big decision on what team was going to be the right fit for him. As Mina alluded to earlier that we played, you know, he found a team that had a great defense. We didn't talk enough about that, but also had great weapons. Put himself in a really good situation. Vegas thought they were one of the Super Bowl favorites coming in. But to be able to deliver on that in year one out of New England in a strange 2020 I mean, no matter what your level of, of fandom is for Tom Brady one way or the other, you have to tip your hat at some point and say, my God, like, he took the jump, he took the risk, and it worked. Yeah, and you know who's going to be watching a lot of the Raiders, your beloved Raiders? Uh, the Bucks. because guess who was the only team to beat Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs at full strength when they were trying to win a game this year? Your Raiders. So that means the Bucks are sure going to be paying attention to what exactly worked in that game uh, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 pretty wild. I, I'm sure one of the things we don't do enough in this business, and I tried to do it with Orlovsky the other night with the good take, hot take, is really go back and take stock and inventory of what we've said before. There are there are some enterprising people who will do that with the Maxes and the Stephen A's of the world, right? They will go back and or or you know you you don't even remember you said something about someone's team six years ago, and they will come out of the woodwork and remind you when you're proven okay. wrong six years later. But we don't do that enough. I, I and and I, I recall thinking this specifically, especially when it came to pandemic related things. Going back and hearing ourselves ten months ago and what we thought about the idea of sports during all of this. And all it's done is getting significant, gotten significantly worse, and we've just rolled out more and more sports and fewer and fewer protocols, it feels like, right, without the bubbles and everything else. So in this case, I would love to go back and hear how we all talked about Tom Brady choosing the Bucks to go play for, first of all, right? And then also, you know, a couple games in when they hadn't gelled yet because they didn't have a real offseason and a real preseason at all, and people saying, forget playoffs, they're not going to they're not going to be above 500, right? Like it was all Belichick he won and here we are in the freaking Super Bowl. Yeah, well, and and you know, I'm the first to throw myself on, on the sword on this one. Like I was double whammy wrong on the Bucks and Brady before the season when I was talking to different ESPN radio stations across the country and everybody was asking about their playoff shots to me, it was okay. Well, they're going to be very good, but the NFC looks like it's going to be so great that I'm not even willing to say playoffs are, are in the cards for them because it's going to be so difficult to get a wild card. And then it turned out that guess what? Brady was Really good. The Bucks were really good, and the NFC was not good. So I got it all wrong in this process, uh, looking <laughs> at the way it would come together in 2020. And and frankly, you know, I I thought there would be an adjustment period. And as much as I respect Bruce Arians, 
I expected that the Saints would be better. I expected that Drew Brees wouldn't fall off a, a, a ledge as, as his level of play so quickly. I expected that it would be more challenging for the Bucks, and they get into this. And if you had told anybody that that Brady would throw three picks, and we just had Ben Bolin talking about how well he played in the first half, I get that. But if you told anybody on Friday, all right, Brady's going to throw three picks in the second half alone. We would all say that that's a game that the Bucks lose. So uh, the um, alarming part of this is while Brady was getting whatever rhythm with the offense and while they were getting better, this defense was continuing to grow. And all they're doing now is forcing turnovers and an alarming clip and getting them into the Super Bowl. So part of it, yes, Brady, but part of it, just the Bucks have come together so quickly, and I didn't anticipate that. I will say it's been pretty cool to see people posting the diversity of Bruce Arian's staff as far as the success that that Bucks team has had. Um, you know, four, I believe it is, major uh, pieces and coaches um, are African-American. I think all of the main coordinators. And then two women on his staff as coaches. Um, this is a guy who has, you know, really been on the forefront of trying to change the diversity in the face of, of football. Um, I wish he hadn't been convinced into – allowing Antonio Brown a spot on that team. Frankly, I don't think they need him. And he had been adamant about not wanting him. And obviously Tom Brady convinced him or somebody did. But um, it is cool to see how this team that everybody looked at last year and said they are close. This is a top five defense. This is a team with weapons. They just, you know, they got to get better than Jameis Winston throwing the ball away. Insert Tom Brady and boom, first Super Bowl, first playoff appearance in 13 years. It's wild. Yeah, well, what's wild, I'll let you uh, read the, the tweet of the day, by the way. Oh, and the, gosh. The responses to Bradyisms. This is wild, Sarah. This person wrote, at Scott Cooley, my team hasn't won a Super Bowl since 2019 when we had Tom Brady. We do not feel sorry for you. <sighs> You're a jerk. Man, I cannot. I just cannot wait for the city of Boston to find out what the rest of all of New England to find out what the rest <laughs> of us have been feeling for a generation. Freddie and Fitzsimmons will keep breaking it all down for you. Coming up next, as always, she's Sarah Spain. I'm Jason Fitz. Thanks so much for hanging out with Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.